This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Two, one, and we are recording episode 796 with Mr. Joseph Flynn, brother of Mr. General Flynn. And for all future listeners today, Sunday, May 1st, 2022 at 4.06 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, Mr. Flynn, could you please introduce yourself to my audience and tell them a little bit about yourself? Hey, Tommy, how are you? This is May Day. I don't know if you know about May Day in Europe. In fact, most around the world, this is a holiday. Tomorrow will be a holiday. Yeah, it's the Soviet Union's day, right? Well, it's the, the International Day of the Worker, which was introduced by a long time ago. Not unlike Labor Day here in the United States. It's kind yeah. of the same same idea. Yeah, my name is Joe Flynn. I'm uh, General Flynn's youngest brother. There's nine siblings in our family. Um, I am the youngest. Mike is the middle child. Um, I am. I live in uh, Southwest Florida, but uh, we, we grew up in Newport, Rhode Island, in Rhode Island, up way up north. Uh, Irish Catholic family, like a lot of people up there. There's a lot of Italians, a lot of the Irish, big Catholic community up there. And um, I went, uh, when I went to college down in Washington, D.C., I was mentioning to you that I lived in Bethesda for a long time. I went to the Catholic University of America, graduated there in 1987. I was on a scholarship there. And um, then after that, did worked over in Europe for a couple of years, actually teaching, teaching English. I ran an English language program for, for children and for high school students when I was in my early 20s in Madrid and Barcelona. And when I got back, from that, I went into business. I worked for one of the largest international trade show organizers in the world. And uh, I worked primarily in Latin America. I lived in Mexico City for three years. I lived in Buenos Aires, Argentina, lived in South, did a lot of business in Sao Paulo, spent a lot of time in Sao Paulo, Brazil, all over Latin America, Spain. Uh, luckily, I, I learned how to speak Spanish pretty fluently when I was um, living over in uh, Madrid and Barcelona. And then I got kind of tired of that uh, after uh, had a couple of got married. I'm still married to my same beautiful wife of 29 years. We just celebrated 29 years of marriage. She's from Puerto Rico. And I had two uh, kids. They're both grown adults now, two beautiful young, young women. Um, and um, when I was about 38, I got tired of working for other people. And a friend of mine, and I started a business uh, in the healthcare information technology services space. And um, we took that public, actually, after about five or six years, we took it public, put it on the New York Stock Exchange. I got out of that around 2016, 2017, got involved with another business, which I spoke to a private equity group. I was living in California at the time. My wife and I lived in, in South Orange County, California for about 19 years. And then when I sold my last business, I moved to uh, right here, beautiful Southwest Florida, because um, I was kind of tired of California. It was a very anti-business environment. I loved the people and I loved the place I lived. It was a gorgeous place. But it was a very difficult place to think about building another business. I have been pretty, a I had been pretty apolitical most of my life, um, although my family 
growing up in my family, uh, we were very much involved and there was a lot of always discussion around the table about politics and international politics. My dad was in the military for 20 years, fought in World War II and the Korean War. And um, of course, Mike uh, was in the military in those days. And also I have a brother, Charlie, who's just one step ahead of me. He's two years older than me and he's a four-star general. He's the commander of the United States Army Pacific out in Honolulu. He commands about 90,000 troops. Um, so we were always, and my uncle was a Navy captain, um, you know, ran the, the nuclear sub program for a number of years. So we were kind of always involved, but then I didn't get really, really involved until they went after um, my, my family. They went after my brother just, just for supporting Donald Trump. And it was surprising because General Flynn was a Democrat. We come from a Democrat family. I was a Democrat until probably about 10 years ago. That's when I became an independent, really. And then now I'm a registered Republican, but not a happily registered Republican because I'm not a big fan of the Republican Party and the Republican establishment. But I, I, was, I was also attracted to what Donald Trump was doing politically. Uh, at first, I wasn't as enthusiastic about Trump as my brother Mike was, but I didn't get to know him personally at that time. I'm talking about early 2016, but as I saw that Trump really was focused on the needs of the working class and the Democratic Party had quickly, particularly under Obama, had quickly become a party of the elites. I noticed a, a, a dramatic shift. And, and if, you, if you look at how Trump got elected in 2016, he was not elected by, by establishment Republicans. He was elected primarily in the Rust Belt states by disaffected Democrats. And I, was, I would consider myself one of those, um, those disaffected Democrats, pro-life, Catholic Democrat. So I didn't really fit the mold of, you know, kind of the radical Democrat party that, that, that exists today. So, um, so after I sold my last business, we moved here. I'm still involved in a couple of businesses at a board level. Um, but in November, uh, after the election was stolen, we decided not to go away. We decided to double down and myself and my brother and Patrick Byrne created, uh, actually in April of last year, we created the America Project. America Project is a 501c4 based here in Southern Flo in Southwest Florida, focused on primarily four things. One is election integrity, and I'll get into that a little bit. Second uh, is parental rights. Third is... Um, medical freedom, you know, what we suffered over the last couple of years with that, and also with parental rights, we've been suffering greatly on that. And fourth, and a new kind of vector that we're going after is the border security, because I feel, personally, I feel the situation at the border is equal to the threat that we had from the Soviet Union. It's that serious, uh, the national security threat level. So that's what we do. I'll get in, I'll be happy to talk about more detail about each of those different areas, but um, been very busy now. It's super busy with all these activities, um, and uh, you know, just just you know, a concerned citizen more than anything, right? Yeah. Could you maybe go in and, and talk about what steps have been taken to uh, ensure the integrity of the twenty twenty two elections? Because yeah, I mean, it really is the that is the foundational piece of everything. No movement matters. No, no. 501 3c or 4c none of these things matter unless the elections are honest well we don't have honest elections or we didn't have an honest 2020 
we probably have had fraud in our elections since we started having elections. There's no, especially in, in big metropolitan areas where, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to not uh, come across, you know, like party machines on both sides, by the way. I'm talking about Republican and Democrat over the course of the last 50 years. Uh, we've had, we've had fraud. Okay. The introduction of machines into the process has added a level of complication. Uh, and that really didn't really happen until about 10 years ago when it became really, um, really prevalent, prevalent. Well, you know, every, every state was using some type of tabulator, some type of election machine. And so, um, I guess there were there were concerns about it. Even the Democrats were deeply concerned about it in 2016 with all the, you know, I did, with the with all the clamoring that they made about how the Russians hacked into the machines and so forth. I mean, they were very vocal about it. And interestingly enough, many Democrats vote did not vote or voted to not certify the election in 2016. People, the media overlooks that. You could you can go back to the record and see many Democratic congressional candidates voted against certifying the 2016 election. And they pointed to the machines as the primary issue. There was an added level of complexity in the 2020 election where, where COVID was introduced into the system. And the idea that we were going to attend the election in person and inject 30 million mail-in ballots into a system that could very that had, that would have a very difficult time controlling the chain of custody of those mail-in ballots. So once they opened the floodgates of mail-in ballots, and I saw it in California <laughs> when they went into all when they went all mail-in ballots, and and they and they um, they also uh, legalized ballot harvesting in California from the time I arrived there in '98 until I left in 2018, and it just destroyed California. The, 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 the chance. For when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, the Republican Party to ever win again in California is, is over because of the legislation that was put forth. So in 2020, um, they it was a it was a multi pronged effort of fraud, which included these mail in ballots and the lack of chain of custody and the people and you know Dinesh's movie is going to show it. You know the two thousand mules. Yeah, two thousand mules is going to show what we've been what we've known all along. Those of us that involved been involved in this known all along that millions of about pre-filled out ballots were injected into the system and it was very difficult to find the chain of custody because each state and each county handles things differently and is able to obfuscate is able to find ways around hiding the fraud okay um the machines though added a whole different level of complexity because you can start manipulating this by through the process of adjudication and what that means is a ballot comes in machine reads it and it doesn't like what it sees it says oh something's not right with this ballot it puts it into a 
into another category or another database, which is called for adjudication, which means somebody, some person or some machine, in the case of Maricopa County, they actually had artificial intelligence that was determining whether the ballot was a, who, who the vote was going to go for based on what the artificial intelligence saw. So when you have this kind of in, you know, visible and invisible fraud at a mass scale, uh, it's very difficult to have a free and fair process. So, so what's being done? Prior to November 3rd, 2020, the majority, when I say the majority, 95% of the American public was not paying attention to this at all. Would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. No one really talked about this, um, except, except the Democrats to a certain extent in 2016. And they also brought it up in Georgia when, you know, when Stacey Abrams, and I know you're in, I don't know if you're in Georgia still, but remember the, the, uh, the, uh, the race between uh, Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp. She claimed all kinds of fraud there. I often wonder whether or not she was right <laughs> because Kemp and Raffensperger did all they could to, tar- to torpedo any attempts um, by the Trump administration or by anybody representing the Trump administration to look into the mass fraud, which if I, if I was to tell you, if I was to pinpoint a county in the United States where the fraud was just overwhelming, it would have been Fulton County in Atlanta, no question. That's probably where, I mean, we can get into that, but Fulton was just incredible. Um, but back to this, nobody really talked about it. And then all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden we woke up, we went to bed on November the 3rd, thinking Donald Trump had won in a landslide, which he did. And then all of a sudden we woke up on the 4th and it was like, he lost Pennsylvania, what? Arizona's been called for Biden. Nobody, nobody that was paying attention believed this. Nobody believed it. And so we thought it was gonna be easier. We thought the Department of Justice, again, we trusted the institutions we were used to trusting as Americans, trusted the justice system. We trusted the uh, FBI. Well, I didn't, but other people did. Uh, you know, people, the average person thought, well, geez, there's got to be, why don't you just do an investigation? Let's, let's look into this. I mean, this can't be right. We have to see. And then one by one, the media shuts it down. The Justice Department shuts it down. The courts are throwing out obvious cases. The courts throw out. Ken Paxton's case, uh, the attorney general of Texas, who got 20, I think, no, 19 other attorneys general to sign on a case. And and the the, the courts just simply said, no standing. Really, they would dismiss it with one or two sentences, which again was unprecedented. All this, from my perspective, points to the fact that this was a coordinated RICO at at a massive scale. Now, when I say massive, it was... It was concentrated in, and if you read Patrick Burns' book, The Deep Rig, he points this out and he points it out very well. There was probably fraud in a lot of places, but it was heavily concentrated in the six swing states, okay? In the, particularly in the big counties in those six swing states, Maricopa, Fulton, Milwaukee, uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, you know, uh, Wayne County in, in, in Michigan. Why? Because they knew they needed just enough to take the electoral college you know they, they needed just enough and they they cleverly designed that so that's what happened now the efforts to un- uncover this in my opinion 
between from the time the election ended in November 3rd to the inauguration of Joe Biden, there was a lot of, in my opinion, there was a lot of wasted time and there was a lack of leadership. There was a lot of infighting. There was um, a concentration. In my opinion, during that period, everyone concentrated on the machines more than they should have concentrated on where all these ballots were coming from and what was the chain of custody of mail-in ballots and absentee ballots in particular. They could have gotten to the, in my opinion, I would have, I would have, I would have, and I was a little bit involved, but I was a little bit, I was a side player in this. I was more of a, you know, I wasn't a lawyer in this case, but I was working in Washington with the teams. I couldn't believe that they didn't focus more on where all these ballots coming from and what's the chain of custody first, and then figured out that the machines go after the machines after that. They're tied together, but it's very difficult, I thought, at that time and we had uh, we had the clock running out on us all over the place okay meaning hey we had to get this done in a short period of time you know when christmas break was in the way all kinds of things going against us if they had focused on the ballots and and not had all the infighting i think that they would have gotten much further along and then exposed the machines and the manipulations of the machines the reason i say that is because to convince a non-technical judge or a non-technical jury about the nuances of an election of a, of a voting machine and, and algorithms and things like that. Most the average person doesn't really understand what that is, let alone some lawyers or some jury people. And that's why, you know, and that's why I think the concentrated effort was, was, was misguided. I still don't know whether they would have had enough time to pull this off in that, in that three month period, two and a half month period. Because it was, just, it was just too massive and it was just too, uh, it was just too, it was too much information to, to digest a short period of time. So what do we do going forward? That's a big question. One of the things that we do, one of the things that we have done at the America Project, so we were very involved in the Maricopa County audit. And a lot of people, including myself, are disappointed with the, not necessarily the outcome, because the outcome showed that there was massive fraud. But we're disappointed again in the weakness of the Republican Party. And I, and I blame the Republican Party way more than I blame the Democratic Party. I, I look at the Democrats and I say, man, they are really good at this fraud stuff. Really good at it. Like incredibly good at it. They, they have the media on their side. They've got the unions on their side. They've got the Postal Service on their side. They've got Dominion on their side. You know, they've got all these, uh, all these advantages. And here's us on our side pissing and moaning and fighting with each other. And um, we did the Maricopa County audit. It was the first time something like that was ever done. It was a massive, you know, situation because you got two and a half million votes or 2.2 million votes in Maricopa County. <clears throat> and you had the Republican legislator there, in my opinion, was soft-pedaled it. They didn't go hard after this. They, they made the, they made the, the life of the audit team very difficult. They put all these restrictions around it. And in hindsight, we probably should have stopped it and said, this is going nowhere instead of going forward. But we've, we've kept having some hope that once we uncovered all the incredible crimes that had taken place, that action would be taken. Okay. So fast forward to today, that, ha that hasn't quite happened. But what Maricopa County audit did is it opened everyone's eyes. It started the entire 
process. Now, Wisconsin's got uh, a huge uh, activity going on right now with the Gableman, who's a former uh, Supreme Court justice in Wisconsin, who's doing a a massive special uh, prosecutor's investigation up there in Wisconsin. And it's not over yet. He's going to he's going to find enough information there to to absolutely um, identify that that election should not have been certified. That's already happened in Arizona. The Maricopa County audit showed that the, the information, and even if you take just one chunk of it, the, the signature verification or the, uh, or just the, the technical audit there where they showed that there was 18 different uh, uh, users, login users in that uh, election there that had, uh, that nobody knew there were, they weren't authenticated users. So people were getting in to the machines without authorization. That, that was that was demonstrated in the audit. All this stuff, are, 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 every single one of them is a felony. Every single one of them is a felony count. Things, same things happened in, in, in Wisconsin. The Mesa County report just came out in Colorado, which was very damning about how they switched databases before and after um, the election. Georgia, the team down there, uh, uh, voter GA, Garland Favrito. I mean, he's got ongoing cases. That's what's going on. What's, what, now, what we have now is enough of the people, enough of the average citizen, particularly on the conservative side, not believing in the election and taking action to, keep, to hold their legislators accountable to, to focus on election fraud. It's not good. This is the kind of thing that doesn't happen overnight. It, it, it takes a process. So anyway, I'm rambling on. here. No, today. no, it's 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 people aren't people aren't tuning in to listen to me. They're listening to you. What do you and there's more of just an opinion. Maybe you can make an educated yeah. uh, guess. What do you see happening with the 2022 elections? Is it. Are they going to be drawn out into the open and that they're going to try to cheat again? And it's going to be obvious. Have they have we sealed off enough of the the, I guess, choke points that it has to be free and fair what do you think is going to happen? Here's my prediction. Here's my prediction. I predict that uh, there will be fraud. No question. That's given. I kind of look at what happened in Virginia. Um, what happened in Virginia. And I'll tell you, what happened in Virginia is a group of patriots there, the activists in Virginia, said to themselves, they're not going to just lay down and die. Uh this group went after it and went after it hard. They, they, they organized 4,500 volunteers. They trained those people to be poll watchers and precinct volunteers. They knocked on 80,000 doors of what's called low propensity voters. So these are voters. You can get them in the voter rolls. These are voters that have only, that have maybe not have voted in two and two and three elections, election cycles, because the Virginia gubernatorial election last year was an off-off year election. Okay, so it wasn't even a midterm election. It was an off-off year. Um, and the, the patriots, the, the, the conservative movement in Virginia went from having only 30% of the precincts covered by, by conservatives to 90% of the precincts covered by conservatives. They got they knocked, they got 60, they knocked on 65,000 doors, okay? And for the first time in 20 years, they turned the House of Delegates from blue to red. They turned the governor's race. 
They turned the lieutenant governor's race and then they turned the attorney general's race. Did we get a perfect candidate in Governor Yonkin? Absolutely not. But is he better than Terry McAuliffe? 100%. <clears throat> okay, so we, the America Project is working in eight states. That, that, that um, program that's, that took place in Virginia, we're now taking that to eight different states. Why are we doing this? Because we don't trust the Republican Party. Okay, we don't trust that the Republican Party is going to do the heavy lifting ground level groundwork, boots on the groundwork to activate the, the grassroots conservative movement. They're, the, the Republican Party actually doesn't want to, doesn't want us to be doing what we're doing. In fact, and they're doing everything they can to thwart what we're doing, crazily enough. Now, we've got enough good candidates that are going to win in these primaries that we're going to get the support we need. But if we, this is my personal opinion. Some people don't agree with me and that's fine. I don't really care because I saw it happen in Virginia and I know it can happen in these other states that, that because they're going to cheat, we need to be, we need to be at the polls and precincts and we, we need to uh, turn out the vote five to 10%, five to 7% more than them. And we can take back the house and the Senate. Uh, if it, in a free and fair election, without all these machines, with same-day voting, with voter ID, we would wipe them out. We would probably wipe them out forever. I don't think they'd ever get reelected. I don't think they'd ever take back the House and the Senate. But in absence of that, this is what we have to do. Now, people say, well, we got to get rid of the machines. I agree we got to get rid of the machines. But you don't get rid of the machines until you get rid of the legislators who continuously sign, uh, sign contracts with these machine companies. Uh, and, and, and so it's a, it's a, you have to start at the, at the legislative level in order to make substantial change in the voting policies of each state, each county. It happens at the local level. It just happened, for example, out in, out in uh, Nevada, Nye County. I think that's where Reno is. Uh, we supported a, a guy who's actually running for secretary of state out there. We helped him, um, we created a number of events, a number of public hearings, which we supported, we sponsored, we paid for, <clears throat> between citizens in Nye County and the public officials. And we specifically focused on the machines. And lo and behold, Nye County's conservative um, commission, county commission out there voted to get rid of the machines in 2020. Uh, sorry, in 2022. So Nye County in, in Reno, Nevada, that, that area is not going to use machines to tabulate votes. Okay, now why? They can do that at the county level. So county by county, this kind of stuff can get done. But it's only going to get done through awareness. It's only going to get done through activism. And it's only going to get done if the Republican Party has brave people who are willing to stand up to the massive onslaught. The media will come after them. The Democrats will come after them. They'll try to destroy their businesses. It's a full court press when people raise their ugly, when people raise their heads and say, hey, I've had enough of this voter fraud. So it's going to take brave people. It's going to take activism and it's going to take legislation. And it, it's just not going to happen snap overnight. It just doesn't. That's not the way it's going to work. Anybody thinking that is is uh, living a delusional, living in a delusion. So what does 2024 look like? So optimistically. If we win back the House and the Senate, I do think 
If you would have asked me back in October, September, October timeframe, I would have told you that I didn't think Trump was going to run for president. But I now think he will. I think he's waiting to the, for the midterms to get over. He wants to get the House and Senate back. And I think he's going to announce his, his, his president, run for presidency sometime after, certainly before Christmas of 2022. And I think that's going to spark, re, reignite the, the America First movement, assuming he stays healthy, assuming, you know, I mean, he's not young, so it's not like, you know, anything can happen to you when you get over 78, 79 years old. It's not like, you know, we all know that from our parents and, and so forth. But so assuming the president stays healthy and he's got a pretty strong constitution, his dad lived a long time, his mom lived a long time. So genetically, he's in good shape there. Assuming he stays healthy, I, I see him reigniting the the conservative base and, and full court press to 2024. Uh, there will be pretenders trying to run at, run against him like um like probably mike pence probably chris christie probably nikki haley probably mike pompeo at that point those will all just be contests for vice president honestly Man, you know i don't even know why you'd spend money if you were a republican running against trump in a in a primary you know if he if he announces his candidacy there's nobody that's going to come close to him now the only other person that has the level of popularity, I think, amongst the America First movement is the great Governor DeSantis down here. But I think, I think DeSantis is smart enough politically to know that he's much better off staying in Florida for two terms, knocking it out of the park down here, letting Trump, you know, letting Trump take his third, take his second term, and then uh, DeSantis waits till Trump's second uh, term. And then he becomes president for two terms. That, that would be the ideal solution, the ideal situation. Um, and I'm hoping that's what happens. Um, now, that's, that's the best case scenario, right? Let's talk about worst case scenarios. <laughs> I, I, my brother, General Flynn, <clears throat> is a lot more pessimistic than I am. Okay, he is, um, and has said this very publicly many times, that he's afraid and he, he fears, and with good reason, that they're going to do something like a, like a, I don't know, like a black swan event will happen of some sort, or they'll find a reason to suspend the elections or to change the way we vote or do something in order to disrupt the, uh, what's the word? It really, in order to disrupt kind of the, uh, the peacefulness of an election, the 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 orderliness of the election on November the th in November of next year, he he sort of feels like a hammer is going to drop. Um, I don't feel that way. Um, I think that they really run a serious risk of if something like that happens, people seeing through it, yeah, uh, and and there'd be a the level a level of civil unrest in this country that we haven't experienced probably ever if not since the 60s uh, or since uh you know the, the labor riots way back in the 20s uh i think that they're going to avoid that now i am concerned there's two things that concern me more than anything right now and that is a, the southern border and and the the invasion that we're experiencing of not just people and 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 sex trafficking and, and child trafficking and 
and but drug the drug trafficking that's coming across and the infiltration across the border of huge amounts of terrorist groups just walking across the border so that's one area the other, the other thing is the situation in the ukraine they are pushing the russians to they they are if you notice there's no talk of a peace settlement there's no talk of how do we get a ceasefire agreement in place yeah. There's only talk of sending $30 billion worth of new weaponry to Zelensky and his cronies, frankly, uh, to try and displace the Russians from the eastern part of the Ukraine. The Russians are not leaving the eastern part of the Ukraine. The Russians are not going to leave those Black Sea ports. They're going to take the city of Odessa. They pretty much have Mariupol right now, if you look at it geographically. And they're going to cut off the Ukraine from the Black Sea. And that's the end of the that's the end of the Ukraine effectively at that point, because they can't do commerce unless they have to go through Poland. So, but they can't get shit any of their grain on the ships. They can't get you know Ukraine has a lot of natural resources, and and in order to displace the Russians, they're going to have to. I mean, there's just, I just don't see it happening. I could be wrong. I don't think the Ukrainian military has the ability to displace the Russians from the areas that the Russians currently occupy. Okay, right now. So now what could the West do? The West could provoke World War Three. They could provoke, they could put the Russians who view, see this, this, what people don't understand is the Russians view the in, in, in incursion of NATO and the West into the Ukraine. They don't view it as a as an annoyance. They view it as an existential threat. Yeah. It's an existential threat to their to their motherland. And Again, I'm I'm not I'm not a Russophile by any stretch of the imagination, and I think Putin is a is is a dictator. And but you know he had the popular support of his people, and there's been a war going on in eastern Ukraine since 2014. I mean, in the Donbass. Now, where I'm going with this is the West by talking about sending 30 billion dollars more in aid there. Is not signal, signaling to the Russians they're ready to sit down yeah. and talk. Now, some would say, "Well, it's 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 um, you know it's you know talk talk softly but carry a bat a big stick." Well, they're not even talking softly, and the only people suffering right now is not is not the Russian people; it's the Ukrainian people, and the Ukrainian people suffering at the hands of both their own government and the Russian military. So. My point is, is, is if this thing escalates, this is a proxy war between NATO and, uh, and the Russians. The Ukrainians are just sort of, you know, kind of in the middle of this. It's a proxy war. And, and it'll be interesting if we continue to escalate. It could get to a very dangerous situation, which gets really out of control. How does that relate back to the United States, back to our domestic policy? Well, they could, they could you know, if the Russians get pissed off enough and blow up a uh, blow up blow up a Ukrainian city with a nuclear weapon then kind of all bets are off you know that's a that's yeah. an unprecedented situation I, I worry about that I pray that it doesn't happen but I don't trust the maturity or the um, I don't trust the people that run this country right now I don't trust the uh, the, the stability of, of these people nor their their maturity as it relates to the seriousness, because I don't see 
a lead, I don't see, I see a leadership vacuum, not at all, not at all talking about a, a peace settlement, peace agreement. How do we come to terms with reality? Yeah. So, yeah, it <clears throat> kind of seems like you could really, you could use an escalation to really Trojan horse anything you wanted. I mean, it would be very believable that the Russians would do a massive cyber attack, right? Oh, absolutely. They shut down our entire electrical grid. Or we do it to ourselves and say it was Russia and use that as justification to shift the elections entirely. You know, I used to be one of these people that was, I would laugh at conspiracy theorists all the time. I would always be like, oh, come on, that can't be true. That can't be true. Now, I was talking to my wife about this this morning when we went for like a power walk this morning on Sunday morning. And I said, you know, she, she she was more prone to like, conspiracies i guess in our many years of marriage and i would always laugh and laugh at her you know and say you're crazy what are you talking about i'm not that way anymore i i I, what we saw with the russia hoax what our family went through with the Mueller report and all the crazy shit that was being thrown out about general flynn and trump and everybody else that was wrapped up in that and now of course covid you know and what we all just experienced with covid you know, including and, and, and add to that the Hunter Biden laptop story. And it's all, you know, it's quickly labeled as Russian disinformation. You know, now we have the Ministry of Truth coming at us. I mean, now I'm kind of like, wow, maybe everything I knew before was complete BS. And and um, trying to figure out who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. Yeah, the mask is off mask is all well and but we're in a weird place now because now we don't know who to trust or what to trust yeah you know and 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 people on our side deviant people on our side have taken advantage of that yeah they've taken advantage of it and sowed seeds of seeds of doubt in people's heads and and i mean i'm going to be totally honest with you and, and you know make up things like you know Trump's actually still in control and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, I have a real hard time with that because if Trump's still in control, then he's doing a lot of damage to the country, a lot of damage. And I don't yeah. think Trump, and I don't think Trump wants to do any damage to this country knowing him. Yeah. So in fact, we're going to see him this week coming up. I'm going down tomorrow this week. Oh, really? Yeah. So I, I, people have to get real, but people have to understand that down and hoping something to happen is why is exactly the reason why we're, why we're here. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, us on the conservative side, even I blame myself. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the last year of the baby boom. 1965 was the last year of the baby boom. So I'm kind of in between the baby boom and Gen X. We weren't paying attention to this. We thought Obama was pretty good. Ah, he seemed like a good guy, hope and change and all this, you know, the Iraq war was a disaster. We should have never been in it, but nobody was really paying attention until now. I think we're really paying attention, like really paying attention. And that's what gives me, the American people give me hope. The, the thing that we have on our side, our asset, our really our only asset is the American people, is the, is the numbers. Because one of the other things that I've found in this is that two things, the left works in unison. They do not, eat their own. Very rarely do you see a leftist, you know, 
publicly denouncing another leftist. It almost never happens. The left spends millions of dollars without questioning, you know, the people that are raising the money and spending the money. Yeah. On our, on our side, we got wealthy people, very wealthy people who think everything's, you know, just going to go back to normal. We'll, we'll win the elections. It's all going to be fine. We've got, we've got patriots. We've got people believing charlatans and believing crackpots saying things like, you know, don't vote because it doesn't matter and all this kind of stuff. I mean, if we if we're gonna if we're gonna uh, if we're, we're it's it, we're in a divided we fall situation, yeah. and people people need to really get mature. I, I I get a little bit annoyed with some of the, the immaturity that I see um, on our side, and and it's sad because a lot of times it's not their fault. It's just that they people like they just like to um, they like to believe something fantastic is going to happen <laughs> it's not <laughs> yeah you gotta yeah. get active yeah so. there's, there's no deus ex machina it's just there. it's a very you got to get up and do something kind of thing you got to get up and do something you got to be part of it you got to be part of the solution not part of the problem if yeah. you're being divisive and you're being um and you're believing in hopium then you better you better look at yourself in the mirror and pray for real, you know, knowledge and wisdom. Yeah. Because, because I view it this way. We're kind of in a situation in this country that I kind of use the basketball analogy. It was, you know, during the NCAA tournament, I was using this that for 15 minutes. Uh, we got 15 minutes left in overtime and we're down six points. So we got to play defense and offense. We got to get a three-pointer. We got to steal the ball and get another three-pointer. It can happen. Yeah. I've seen it happen. I've been involved when it yeah. happens. <laughs> yeah. But but it, 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 it's nerve-wracking, right? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> I know you said you gotta you gotta run so so as not to keep you. We'll wrap this one up. But uh I, I've been doing a lot of talking. I apologize. No, no, no absolutely not. No. I I have to it is so much better when you don't have to pull a guest teeth to get them to talk. It's so much better when they take it and run. I enjoy that so much more. So this was this was perfect. Well, as you know, you you sound like you have an Irish last name, Carrigan. Thomas Patrick Carrigan. I'm Joseph James. <laughs> we have our we have the gift of gab as my mother. Well, I know. Say. Yeah, we've kissed the Blarney. Yeah, I know. So it's yeah. So if you t- if you take it away, that's fine with me because otherwise yeah. I will ramble nonstop for two hours until the guest is begging me to leave. So <laughs> you make my job easier when you do this. Good, good. Well, uh, Mr. Flynn, I'd love to have you back on. And um, but again, I know you got to run right now. I will. Uh, I will message you I, when this episode. I have another minutes or so if you want to go in any other direction, but that's fine. I think I think we'll we'll wrap it up. I think there's a natural okay. end, end to it, and um, yep. but yeah, I'd love to schedule another another one with you uh, sooner than later, and uh, I'd love to get back into it and uh, really kind of break it down, and then maybe the ne- we could do another episode about what can people do as opposed to well, just let me just, let me just stop go with a uh, kind of a a plug for what we're doing sure. at the America. I love people to visit that www.america americaproject.com take a look at our website see what we're up to call us get involved we've got operations in eight states and those states are texas florida virginia 
Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona. Okay, that's where we're focused. We wish we could do more, but you know, you, there's only so many dollars yeah. out there. And uh, we're, we're raising money. We're doing what we can to, to, to uh, have an effect on getting this country back on track. Hell yeah. And uh, I'll put that link into the description. And uh, again, next episode will be what can people do themselves? Where can they go be poll watchers or X, Y, and Z? I think that would be good because I think people want to do things. A lot of people don't know what to do. And so maybe you could walk them through that next time. I'd be happy to. Mr. Flynn, thank you so much for coming on here, my man. It was a pleasure. And uh, God bless you as well. God bless America. Thank you for listening to everybody. Check out that link. It's in the description. And uh, I will schedule another one with you later today. We'll figure it out. All right. Cheers. All right, man. Thank you so much. Peace.